As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Okay. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Jake. How's it going? Um, not great. I'm reading Freud, so <laughs> I'm reading uh his book on where he thinks jokes came from for like another okay. podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's uh, he's. I mean, he's such a weird person because on the one hand, you read his theories about something like this and they suck and on the other hand it's like well he was kind of the first though to take a stab in the dark at some of this stuff so of course it sucks um <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm in an interesting place how are you um i'm good i am in a weird not weird i'm just in an introspective mood which i was gonna say calm but i don't think it's calm it's maybe roiling <laughs> it's maybe like a roiling ocean uh because i'm just having one of those weeks i guess where um i don't know if you've ever had this actually because you're a comic and a writer and a performer but uh one of those times when i feel like there is no point in expressing myself or like i uh, am wasting my energy now that's very negative how to put it like I don't know like I'm not having negative feelings or thoughts more so than I you do about the world and comedy and art and all the shit as we normally talk about but I am finding more joy and desire to joy in and desire to share these things either like only with myself in like writing or like I made 12 pots this week. Yeah. So, you know, that's like hours of like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and then I'm just like thinking to myself and arguing with the podcasts <laughs> and not tweeting about it. And I don't feel like I got to tell people or make people mad or hurt anybody's feelings with, uh, thoughts that are perhaps not fully polished yet or that I think may be very important to me, but not necessarily matter to other people. I don't know. I've spoken about the hubris, despair, modern, right, uh, extremes. And um, I think it's Caselics, yeah, uh, who said that the part of modernity, the modern experience is that we, we exist in a constant state of hubris or despair. And I think that the hubris state is when we feel like we have so much to say and our anger matters and our opinion matters and our critique matters and people should hear this and let's get the conversation going and I'm going to change things. And the despair, I think is when you feel like I'm feeling now, but I want to propose that it's not necessarily like depressing and bad. It's almost, oof. Okay. It's not necessarily depressing, but it is kind of bad. (laughs) I don't know because okay what it's reminding me of is like getting old or treads uh because I'm starting to like understand this desire to bury your head in the sand and just be okay with your immediate circumstances and run out the clock on the game you know what I mean especially for me because I don't have kids 
So like, I don't know how many years do I have left on this shit? Like 30, 40? I don't fucking know. So I could just run out, like make my pots, take your cats, travel, uh, maybe write some books. Books don't fucking give you feedback. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't have to argue with books. You don't have to get mad at the internet about your book. You could just not look at the internet. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm starting yeah. to feel the pull of that. And maybe it is a little bit despair of feeling like, you know why? Um, honestly, I think it comes from the fact that like, ugh, this week I'm like very bothered by the fact that every single person in America, let's say, let's just reduce it to the West, takes, is right now in a very defensive position where everything you say that is like a point of criticism towards a framework of thinking or of politics or of policy making or of business doing you know like a critique of any action then all people take it as a personal attack yeah and therefore like it just feels like everything is becoming taboo and no conversation can be had because every single person not only takes everything as an attack on their personal experience but they take it as an erasure of their personal experience. And uh, this is like everyone on the left, on the right. Uh, I don't know. Um, like an inescapable reality about the world we live in right now. No one's safe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I think even in like in friendships and tweets, like, you know, we've talked about it before where people like on Twitter or something will just like read more than it's meant to or whatever. I don't know. And it just uh, or uh, the more recent thing that happened was the shit where I was like making jokes and honestly criticizing the idea of uh, what is it called? IVF. And uh, well, I think I didn't even get into the surrogate critique, but (laughs) yeah, I didn't even get into the surrogate critique, but I got a real good surrogate critique. But anyway. Point is, uh, in talking about these things, which, to be honest with you, uh, they are not, this is a good example, actually, because they are not things that I have a personal stake in. I don't want to have children. uh, And I am not discussing it as a form of taking down the people who participate in these choices. It is a matter of discussing the ideas that lead people down the road to make these choices and to frame these choices as inescapable. Because realize that if you say that I had no choice but to do IVF because I cannot have children naturally, then what you're saying is you don't have a choice, right? You are framing the entire narrative as a choiceless narrative. And for me, I just would like to introduce into the narrative choices and other ways of looking at it so that future young women, let's say, and also young couples don't feel that they have to bankrupt themselves or destroy their bodies or destroy the body of another person who is below them in class and opportunity and situation so that they can have a child. Uh, So again, I know there's going to be people offended about this, but my point being that uh, my attempts to discuss something like that are not about attacking the people who choose to do it. They are about presenting or like dissecting the reasons that we all think of these things as like inescapable, uncriticizable personal choices. (laughs) You know what I mean? And 
sure, I could like say things nicer. You know what I mean? People who make jokes could make the jokes nicer. (laughs) But the reality is like, not every not every person has to frame their speech in a way that doesn't hurt your feelings, man. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say that. I've heard things, dude. Okay. Without being too self-deprecating one time, and I won't name it. One time I was listening to a podcast that is a women led podcast. And these two beautiful women are discussing something about women's body types. And then they proceed to go to like, say this one body type, which described my body type very specifically. And then they go like, yeah, like that's absolutely the worst body type. RIP. Sorry to anyone that has, you know, and I'm like, oh, ouch, Jesus Christ. That hurts me so, so much. I didn't fucking write an email. I don't hate them. I actually know them personally. I didn't (laughs) cry about it. I didn't like hold it against them or stop being friends with them. Dude, it's fine. Some people think my body type is the worst body type out there. What can I tell you? Other people want to fuck me. It's that is the way that things go. And so like, yeah, sure. It might hurt your feelings that I said something in a way that you wish I would have framed it nicer. But I don't think that the point of any of the conversations that I am ever having here or ever having personally is either to attack anyone personally or to protect anyone's personal feelings. I'm very much always speaking in a meta sense about the conversation that we have publicly and how it affects the people who then receive these ideas as though they're fucking set in stone and quote natural and unquestionable. Okay, I am good. Go jump out of my fucking chair because I relates to everything. Everything we say. (laughs) Okay. So fuck, man. I mean, you know. I don't know I, if I 100% agree with your take on freezing eggs, but also who gives a shit? I'm a man. doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, also, who is it? Why, why does anybody care what I have to say? I'm not fucking stopping you or anything. I also don't know yeah. if I think it's easy for us to defend ourselves by going, well, uh, here's an example of when I wasn't offended by something. Therefore, I'm never offended. Like, we're all human. It comes for all yeah, of yeah. us, right? Um, and I am and I, very, I, I've been looking at myself this week and going like you know i I, here's what i'm getting at i found a standard that i want to hold myself to with regards to this stuff that you're talking about and i don't think i am there and i don't think fucking anyone is there i think this person is the highest level of this thing and they're not a real person so that makes sense the new person you're about to tell us the new episode of euphoria came out oh okay 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 yeah and in the fucking episode spoilers if you're not caught up or whatever it's great uh second to last before the finale we're on episode it's five seven seven sorry just so people know oh five is the running one yeah yeah go so there's this character lexi who's been kind of in the background the whole time because she's the creative one and she's been writing a play and it's like about her friends and all the stuff that we're watching in the tv show and she's like not sure what she even wants to say with it or why it's coming out of her. She's the creative type. She just has to express it. Right. Well, episode seven is the play and it's brilliant because it's a fucking it's euphoria inside of euphoria and all this stuff. And it's insane because all this crazy stuff has been happening and people are like about to kill each other and stuff. And like all this sex and, you know, lying and stuff has happened. And, uh, but everyone still comes to see the play because they're all in high school and they're still friends with her. And the best thing is that, so Pretty much everyone in the audience who's friends with her and is a member of the cast on the show that we're like, you know, all watching, they're seeing themselves be portrayed through her artistic vision. And it's 
fucking mean a lot of the times it's like heavy-handed she reduces <laughs> a lot of her friends to these small versions of themselves and then yeah. like you know makes fun of them a little bit and, and self-centered Don't and they're yeah and they're mortified and they're like yeah. running out of the room and stuff but her alcoholic mom when she <laughs> i loved it the character that's playing her who's like a dude in like drag yes. carrying a big glass of wine and he's like dude, and she's like turning to people stuff. in the audience being like that's supposed to be me that's yeah, supposed dude, to be me she, okay she's my model human is what i'm getting i at. love her she's better than all of us because most of us are not capable of this thing that she's achieved where she sees herself and she's like dying like this is so good <laughs> me right no yeah. one likes to be roasted anymore it's weird yeah. that it's so prevalent in comedy because nobody actually fucking likes it like even when we do roasts it's like people have lists so you can't say this and this about me and it's like well those are the fucking things you would want to say right yeah. so i i think that um i i've been thinking about her because the other thing that happened this week uh, on twitter is like because because i think that i would ascribe this to what's going on in the world because like things are getting really scary with like war and stuff and covid and shit like that there are people that are really going after comedians this week and it's not even the usual comedians it's like megan keister got she, she was like the main character and like the 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 thing she was tweeting about was trending and i really like her i'm a fan of hers I yeah she rules know her and like personally she's like friends of friends but i've always been a fan because she actually is edgy in a way that like a lot of yeah. comics aren't which is that she goes after the industry and that's like the only thing i think a comedian can really be edgy about yeah. but like um well at least you know unless you're like okay but um there's there's separate there's if you're like there's other black, things you're going but, after the yeah. cops sure yeah. yeah but if you're white yeah. then you go after the industry so um yeah. she made this tweet about ted lasso and then all these fucking liberals were just like how dare you uh, and then like josh gondelman who's like the sweetest person in comedy made a joke about comic book movies and all these people were like fuck you and the thing you'll notice <laughs> really yeah it was weird and he's been like i missed that one it and talk about yeah. it like this is weird you know yeah this is weird because people usually don't take down these types of people but the thing is like i think the people that are going after comedians like this for making fun of tv shows are like really really ideology deprived liberals who are freaked out right now and they're they're <laughs> what they're seeing is a bad guy in someone who would insult a feel-good tv show because yeah. like if you're if you have stupid western american liberal brain you don't have actual enemies so it's like this is the thing that sets you off it's a yeah. it's a made up a guy uh to fucking yell at instead of having politics and it's really funny because yeah. it's like you know right-wing people do this all the time with like their weird you know oh, everyone's coming to get me with cancel culture or whatever this is what left-wing people People do when they're out of their minds is they get mad that you didn't like superman or whatever the fuck or ted lasso <laughs> or whatever and like i saw this and i was like i liked ted lasso and i think it's funny to make fun of these types of people yeah. uh, it's weird right so but a I, I, couple things about it i noticed one of them is you know on the one hand i've been in her situation a lot and like i don't want to do this thing where you shift around and it's like well if you like the person you defend them and if you don't like them you go oh good for them they should get fucking owned on twitter or whatever yeah um but i so i'm like trying to really look at this from all dimensions but I, honestly i think that like you know you're a comedian you have to if if people yell at you you have to take it it's part of it yeah. right so sure. i don't think that this is like a thing where we should be like how dare you guys do this but we can't really? examine what's happening while it's happening and like i think that what people are kind of wrong about when they go after comedians for making jokes like this is uh 
it's more mean to attack a specific person than it is to make a joke about a type about a group. of group, which is what she was doing. Mm, so like, for instance, true. with me, people personally come after me a lot and it's really like annoying. Like I do not like it. I'll tell you like, fuck you. I'll fucking, you know, punch you or whatever. If you fucking do this to me in a bar. But sometimes somebody makes a joke about like, you know, podcasters and they fucking don't wash their clothes for 10 days and they you know live in a garbage can. I'm like, that's pretty funny. You know, that's how yeah. jokes like kind of work, which is kind of what Freud's getting at in a part of this book. He talks about like um, the unconscious and like, um, you know, his big things is like there's things in the unconscious that you don't. Wait, actually- before you go to Freud, though, okay. one question for you, because do you really think that when you enjoy somebody getting getting taken down on twitter it's purely because you don't like the person because i wouldn't say that i would say that i think it is fun and right when somebody gets taken down when they said the wrong thing not who they are oh absolutely yeah it's yeah what saying. so there is a difference with between that it's like the libs are the ones that don't get that which i think you agree with but i just wanted to clarify but tell me but so repeat to me what is the thing that freud the i lost you on the what is the similar thing so freud freud's theory of yeah. jokes I, as far as i can grasp yeah. reading this it's really thick or whatever mm-hmm. but like so i mean he kind of popped off and had a career thing you know happen when he wrote his book about dreams and his mm-hmm. theory on dreams it was really interesting and new at the time i guess is that you have unconscious wishes in your uh you know in, in your inner self and your dream expresses them in like a coded way which makes you able to process them and also he has this whole other angle about having an economy of psychical energy which is like i'm not going to get too far into it because it's not real and it's also (laughs) fucking gobbledygook but like basically what he's saying is like normally it would be really hard to process the fact that you want to have sex with your mother which is the thing he thinks we all want to do um so to think about that would take a lot of psychical energy right well Mm -hmm. when you're dreaming and you have a dream that you're in a cave guess what you're having that same thought and you're it's softening the the fucking uh abrasiveness of it and it makes you able to have that thought without spending that much psychical energy so the fact that you saved psychical energy is making you have pleasure or whatever i think i mathematically mapped out what he thinks about dreams so the theory about jokes then is kind of the same thing like that you have like the reason we joke about you know death and rape and uh fucking sex and all these things that are really abrasive and hard to talk about is because you know you have that within you you have a drive that wants to talk about it it doesn't work if you just say the thing and so you code the thing and i think that's maybe at least on some level an argument you could make for like what was going on in lexi's play where she had all this stuff that she wanted to say about her friends and her mom and stuff but what's great about her mom is that her mom was like i can connect with you over this you know coded fucking thing about me and it's fine because i'm not a perfect person and stuff whereas her friends were like how dare you like you know show me the reality although i mean were they wrong though (laughs) like um there's another part of this i'm sorry i'm weaving like 20 things together and i'll completely back off in a second but i guess the, the the final thing about this is in opposition to lexi's mom you've got this other character nate who storms out of the room because her what she does with him is complicated because she thinks that he's a straight guy, I think. And so she makes a bunch of homophobic 
jokes about him in the play, but he's actually closetedly bisexual. So he fucking storms out and that's the end of the episode and the last thing he says as cassie's chasing me down the hall is he's like this shit is homophobic <laughs> and he's like an evil socio-psychopathical monster at this point we've seen him you know threatening to kill people and stuff so he's not a good character but i mean i guess the question i have about him is do you think he was wrong though <laughs> in saying that because and I don't know how this, I mean, I know I just laid out like 20 things. So this is my, we can maybe circle back to that, but I've also been kind of thinking about him and thinking, you know, I mean, if you can isolate what he's saying there, I think a, he kind of isn't wrong and b the, like the thing that she was doing to him through that play is the pressure that has been put on him unfairly that's causing him to be so toxic and evil because you know no one knows that he has to deal with this insane thing so maybe this is an argument for you sh i mean we should be nicer to people on twitter it's probably not possible <laughs> it's creating guys like this who go out and fucking you know do all this horrible stuff in their free time because they're because they got ratioed or whatever the fuck you know well, okay. Yes. Many things to work our way back on. Okay. So first of all, um, I would say I do think, you know, there were people who were like, oh, why do we need another episode about Nate's dad, whatever his name was, Cal. Uh, but I think that Cal and Nate are important because they show us why and how men who are abusers or liars or objectify their sexual partners um how they come to be right yeah but it is not an excuse or a defense i do not ever feel pity for nate or for right. cal okay yeah. including after watching this play because what i would say to you is that uh lexi's mom so funny to me that you picked up on this because uh shout out to khalid rockman a uh, buddy of mine we text you know we're talking we're chatting and he like talks to me about this episode and i'm like dude what about Cassie? What about Lexi's mom, though? <laughs> like, that was like the first thing I was like, Lexi's mom is a fucking shit <laughs> and absolutely loved her. But I would say to you that I don't think that she. If you have been watching, she does not have the emotional uh, intelligence to be like or even the artistic fluency to be watching this play and be like, oh, this is a critique of me and this is how she sees me. So I am connecting yeah. with her over how she sees it absolutely not jake what is absolutely awesome about her is that she is watching this play purely as a creative product of her daughters that has no reflection on her whatsoever she doesn't even care and she's like oh that's supposed to be me it doesn't matter it, it's a creative that's her version of how she made it it's not a personal critique of me you get me which is going back to what i was saying at the beginning this ability to be able to see uh, oh, I see a mirror and I can recognize that this could apply to me. And the fact that I recognize something about myself in this, that's a me thing. It's not about the person who made the thing. Right. <laughs> you yeah, understand yeah, me? Yeah. And the, Nate, you're right to point out, is the opposite. Because Nate, you know, it's pretty interesting because the Nate scene that is homophobic on the play, um, it's, I mean... The reason that it's homophobic for anybody who didn't watch it is that um, it's basically like the only uh, dance scene in the play so far and like big musical number, I think. And it's all the football player boys in a locker room and they're like working out. And as they move around doing their dances and singing their parts, they're doing kind of like homoerotic 
working out movements, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, at first my instinct was to be like, oh my God, I think Nate is the only one who's seeing this this way. But then you see that the other students are also like looking back at him. Yeah, but hear me out. Yeah, but hear me out. I think that they are not necessarily seeing the quote gayness in it. They're seeing the fact that he's like a dorky fucking football player who's singing about his muscles and having the prettiest girlfriend. That's fucking loser shit, dude. That is corny as fuck. You get me? So the fact like uh maddie all the other ones they didn't run out of the room so they watched themselves be portrayed before we get to nate's scene and you can see maddie like gets mad and uh fucking cassie gets like embarrassed you know and there's like some recognition of themselves in it but they don't run out right cassie runs out for a minute but she goes back in no cassie doesn't run out until after nate runs out no no she runs runs out but once in the middle and then comes back she goes to the bathroom. oh and she goes to the bathroom right right you're right okay so these two dorks but yeah they're the like the least fucking developed humans on the show yeah and uh so you're right so they both they're the only ones that like really take it in this horrible way and of like personal critique you get me and so to me like the fact that nate's take on it was to be like that shit is homophobic <laughs> it was like a it was a defense mechanism it was not him being a good person who recognizes that what was on stage was a gay joke at his expense and that is homophobic it was him being like you're not supposed to make fun of gay people you are being bad that's the bad pc i caught you in something bad you get me like he's still on the defensive. He is not on the point of even like recognizing that there is valid critique here in a way where all the others, except for him and Cassie were like, okay, I can sit with this, <laughs> you know, I'll wait and see how I feel about this later and think about it and maybe talk to this person afterwards. They immediately took it as judge, jury, executioner. This is whatever, what everybody thinks about me. And now everybody knows about me, period. In the way that like, when somebody makes a joke on Twitter about anything and then you reply to the joke super mad about it, you're the one telling everybody that it applies to you. Right. N- nobody else knew that it was about you until you were like, oh, my God, <laughs> why would you ever attack people? Like, it's like, no, it was just a fucking joke about fucking people that have houses in Malibu or whatever, you know, like whatever it is. Yeah. So, uh but there's a couple of weird things. Like, I kind of yeah. wonder whether there's a really great dialogue between Lexi and Fezco, uh, like before, like the week before this happens or something like that, where she's like, um, I'm worried about what my friends might think about, you know, what I'm saying about them in this play. Yeah. And he's like, uh, well, as long as your intentions are good, you're fine. And she's like, well, what if, my intention they what if they don't understand what if they get offended and don't understand that my intentions were good like your intentions and what happens are separate which is like something that like in comedy i think about all the fucking time with like white guys that say the n-word and stuff like that and like all the edgelord stuff every defense of it is like well my intention was you know so therefore it can't have been a problem but like that's there's two things are not 
like intrinsically linked. Like, in fact, they're extremely unlinked, which is why you have to be so careful because your intentions, like 100% of the time are good because you're you and you're the main character of your life or whatever. So that's like a base. Some of villain, some of your, your intentions could be bad, right? Well, but there are no but... villains in life, though. No, there are people who are villains. No, they're villains. not. Yeah, they are. Of course no, they are. No, they're are. not. They're, yeah. Everyone's a human. Yeah, no, there are people who purposely enjoy hurting others and being mean to others. Of course I, there are. Every human is fucking... I don't, I don't believe this. This is like what do you think? What do you think a fucking a pedophile is? A serial sexual abuser is? A rapist? I think they're damaged people. That's a really psychopath? Tragic. A sadist? There are so many people who enjoy hurting other people, Jake. Right, it's but just two degrees. But it's and, not their... and it's with intention. But it's ultimately, like way, way back, not with intention. Because something happened to those people that formed them into a but person. But it is with intention. So you, there are people who exist in the world today who are entering into interactions with other humans with the intent to hurt you physically or emotionally or financially or reputationally. There are people. The thing is, they might convince themselves that they're not bad people because they don't want to do this to everyone. But it doesn't mean that they don't enter sometimes into some interactions with people with the intention to do that. All right. Humans are not uh, like inherently good either. OK, I think so we let me ask- disagree on that. No, well, okay. Well, well, no, let me I'm ask telling you, you, I disagree. Like, I'm- yeah, exactly. So it's fine. I'm not. Well, I haven't stated my point on. Well, I guess I did because I don't think they're inherently good or evil. To be clear, uh, because good or evil are concepts made up by humans. But anyway, uh, my my question to you is this: uh, for Lexi and and Fesco's conversation, do you think that Lexi would even be asking the question if she didn't realize that intentions don't matter and there is a very real possibility that how people receive things is how people receive things. And if they get mad at you, they're going to get mad at you regardless of your intentions. Right. That's what she's like realizing. No, she's asking for reassurance for something that she knows in the same way that a comic who likes to say racial slurs in his jokes seeks the approval and reassurance from the in-group that likes those jokes to make them feel like, yeah, dude, your intention was not to hurt anybody by saying these racial slurs. So anybody who's telling you that you're bad by saying racial slurs is just a bad person who doesn't understand your good intentions. That's seeking reassurance from a person who knows you, who likes you, who gets your context, who will forgive your your small faux pas. And then in order to then turn around and like use that permission to blanket you in other spaces where it is not okay. And Lexi, I think, is smart. and the fact that she was even bringing this to Fesco, she was bringing it in an immature way of like asking a question for reassurance. But if she could formulate her feelings better, I think that she would have straight up said to her friend, I am really worried because I know some of my friends are going to be hurt by the things I put in my play. Period. End of story. In the same way that if a comic who likes to say slurs was honest with themselves, what they would say is, I know that this joke I'm about to say on stage is going to hurt some people. Period. End of story. I'm still going to do it. That's different than you going up on stage and being like, bro, why are you all so sensitive? Why can't you take a joke? Why can't like, oh, this worked in this other room. That's not the same. Yeah. Right. So the. This idea. Like with Lexi's play, I don't think she really did care about any of her friends' feelings. And 
I think that the only way that she cared about her friend's feelings was whether or not they would approve of her shit and like give her accolades. You get me? But I guarantee you that when they're upset, her entire excuse will be that wasn't my intention. This was just my art. And she's an edgelord. Right. Exactly. And she's hiding behind that was not my intention. And in a way that I guess I'm saying also at the beginning, that was not my intention. But also at the beginning, what I was saying is like, that's what has me not wanting to have public conversations anymore. Well, sure. Because like the thing about Euphoria is it is a show about teenagers. So like all of them are making mistakes that you make as a young person. She is a young artist, right? So Mm -hmm. this is like the first time she's done something like this. Mm -hmm. And this is her learning that in real time that I guess optimistically you might go, wow, maybe this will like make her fucking grow into a person who makes more informed choices like this. But if I know anything about creative types you know for yeah. working with them my entire fucking life like they'll mostly yeah. just double down and do it more and come up with these weird abstract ways of excusing the thing that they did because there is some sort of calculus you can argue we're like well a good good part it's yeah. like a good reaction too so totally totally that, so but I, let me ask you this question mm, this is me being an edgelord uh so far because we've only seen half of lexi's play yeah so far okay i get how the nate stuff because she was in I don't think it's she implicitly is calling him gay but the way that we saw the scene it was homophobic right or it was implying he's gay as a joke I I, I read it as like no yeah no but we don't know if she wrote it I we don't know if that's really because the reason that I say that is it's so far the only dance scene in the entire uh play correct yeah. Oh, she had one. No, she had a singing one, but it didn't right. have a choreographed dance. Listen, this is art inside of art. So all I can give you is yeah. my reading and I have no, no I know, but that's what we're discussing. Yeah. No, that's what we're discussing. So that's what I'm saying. So like my question is to you about your reading. It's not, I'm not asking you to give me fact about a fictional piece of work. Uh, what do you think besides the Nate scene, right? Yeah. Uh, was something that Lexi would have to apologize to her friends for. Um, Well, here's the other thing about it, right? Like the thing opens with her, you know, talking about these like really secret moments or private moments she had with yeah. like, someone like Rue. Oh, the Rue thing is and that, yeah. That calls into question this thing that we talk about all the fucking time with like stand up and stuff yeah. like that, where it's like, well, do you have license to use your friend's secrets and stuff like that in yeah. your act just because you had a really good idea about it or something? Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know, but like, she definitely might have to answer to someone like Rue for like Rue for sure. Yeah. Not consulting yeah, right. her about whether she was going to like talk about Rue's dad's death and stuff like that. And like, yeah, or like, you know. yeah, yeah. Or the funeral or that, that stuff. Yeah. I mean, kind of a bad art friend. <sighs> yeah, no, and so that's tough. And no, and I was asking you this question genuinely. It was not a gotcha question. I genuinely was asking you because uh, anthropologically, that's like a fucking big dilemma. It's a dilemma I'm having in how to write this book. Is like, uh, you know, in some ways, um, you are supposed to. So, like me writing, let's say, nonfiction. In some yeah. ways, you're not. Some ways, you're definitely supposed to include use or like cases evidence examples <laughs> right yeah. of where you observe this and where this actually happened 
But then that means naming names and like recounting behaviors or personal or private conversations or um, correspondence, you know, things like that. And so then that goes into like, well, you have to get permission from all these people or, you know, obviously like nobody will give you, I I don't know. Uh, So then do you use like fake names? And so it's strange because I was asking because, you know, something with like the Nate scene, like, okay, let's say she absolutely wrote it the way that we saw it. Then yeah, she's making fun of Nate and, and in a homophobic way. And then the Rue stuff, Oof, I think it's a gray area. Okay. Because ugh, like the context of where the play is, because a lot of people also know Rue there and therefore it's not actually anonymous that changes it. But like if the play was, she, they're grownups, right. And she's doing a play in fucking New York city or whatever right? about her friend who was a drug addict in high school and changes yeah. the name or whatever. Then I think that that's like not bad. And I think that even in high school, well, no. And then what makes what makes her play ethically questionable in terms of using her friend's stories is the fact that the play is within their milieu. And like everybody in the audience is aware of who this is about. Well, Freud also talks about this kind of when he talks okay. about jokes being topical and how like yeah. payoff is higher when like the because like I guess what he's talking about is his model of looking at this mm-hmm. is like um some some jokes work on like a model of like um connection like connect like the basis of creativity in a lot of people's minds yeah. is uh, just associating things or whatever yeah. in all these different arts right metaphors are basically just a is like b I mean like a really, yeah, yeah. really reduced level so like he's saying that like. You know, with jokes, uh, if you make a really good hanging Chad joke in the year 2022, it doesn't really hit as hard <laughs> as it did in 1999 or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so, like with her play, you might does. argue. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you might argue that um, you know, if she released this 20 years after the fact, it wouldn't do the same thing that it's doing. Yeah. The art is that she made yeah. it all Charlie Kaufman and Meta and shit, and invited yeah, the yeah, people yeah. to the fucking play or whatever. It's totally. not really the thing that stands on its own outside of that. I mean, it could be. But well, like, except that, you know, those weirdos that are like Kafka weirdos. They're our friends, dude. And Lexi is not one of those. Lexi wants to be a power player Hollywood person. Look at her in the back scene stages. I mean, backstage yeah. scenes. There we go. Uh, where she is like, remember that she is she wrote this play. She stars yeah. in this play and she's directing this play. So in the backstage scenes, she's like yelling at people she's yelling at the stage hands she's fucking giving people like direction and like correcting yeah, their fucking lines and shit. and shit yeah she's just like heartless <laughs> so not and like never outside of the playtime has she framed this as like part of the joke is that i'm inviting the people that the joke is about you get me yeah there she's not self-aware and doing this on a like purposefully within the context this is just her first run at being a power Hollywood producer, director. But she also like admittedly doesn't know why she's writing the thing she's writing. She's just letting it come out of her like an artist, you know? And then like, as it's coming out, she's asking Fezco, like, do you think this is like, okay? Like, (laughs) yeah. 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 And Fezco's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's in love, you know? Because he knows. Yeah. He's like, you're wonderful. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to be so sad. I don't even want to know what's going to happen to Fez. Oh my God. I don't want to know. Best. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I don't. This is not a defense of uh, Lexi, really. I, I don't. And I don't hate her. I enjoyed her very much. Yeah, well, it's, I, that's what I'm yeah. saying. No villains. Yeah. Everyone's just yeah, yeah. up and human, on you know. But they're they're having effects that are certainly what they are, yeah. you know. Um, all cops are know. villains. Was uh, the, okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna make a cat that says a cab. <laughs> What's cap? All cops are villains. Yeah, a cab. Um, but okay. So let's circle back to something though. Like, you know, you've got this artist who's making this thing. Who's like, holy shit, there's all these repercussions happening from it. Right. What that is an interesting counterpoint to this thing you're describing where you're like, well, I'm just not going to like tweet these opinions and stuff. But because like, (laughs) that is the, uh, too much trouble. (laughs) I mean, this exactly. Cause you're what you fear is what she's about to have to go through after she puts this play out, which is like a totally, uh, rational, realistic thing to think about and maybe attempt to opt out of. But like, I think opting out of it is, so something that we like kid ourselves into thinking that we're capable of because like you're socially driven in so many ways so like you know there's a thing that i was almost going to say when you were describing like this oh i you know i'm just making pots and like not really getting involved in stuff if we were, i don't know if we've ever talked about this but there's like a subculture online called grill pilled which is, um, <laughs> I can already figure dead shit. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like um guys that are just fucking over and women, I'm sure. I'm grill build. <laughs> I'm not fucking doing this shit anymore. I just yeah. the grill is like the fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, isn't it fun to just get up on Saturday and just yeah. grill hot dogs all day? And that's instead of totally. like, raging on the internet and all this that's stuff. That's me. That's me. I'm grill build. Oh my yeah. god. But isn't that kind of a form of like nihilism where like Yes, totally. You're so right and it is the Gen X part of me. It's why whenever somebody calls me a geriatric millennial, I'm like you're so wrong. You don't even see how much Gen X really affected me and impacted the person that I am because I am so not like millennials. You fucking guys, you're fucking weirdos. So I will say this to you. Um, I do feel like I can opt out of the public conversation, at least in some ways, because I am not an expressions person. So like um, I had this conversation with Hemda from Keith and the Girl one time because, you know, their podcast is very personal. They talk about like their personal relationships and they have comics on and they grill comics about like who they're dating and their last hookup and apps that they're on and all this shit and they get very like personal and one time she and I were having this conversation about like uh how much we choose to share about our families or the people in our lives and I said to her that I am very reticent to do so even though I've done so in the past because even though like let's say the story of how I grew up or the story of past relationships are all valid parts of who I became and like are important enough for me to be able to to want to share because they contributed to forming the person that I am. But they also involve other people who also participated in those times and also have feelings and also have a point of view and maybe probably even a different point of view on that story than the way that I have to tell it. And so for me, it's very difficult to just be like, yeah, I can tell, I can say whatever I want about my dad or I can say whatever I want about my brother. I can say whatever I want about an ex. Whereas for Hemda, she is an expression person. She is an artist soul, right? So she, I would say I'm a, I'm a 
knowledge collection collector soul, right? I like to collect information and observe and be exposed to the most experiences possible. And I make assessments and judgments and all of that. But the sharing it part, the publicizing it part is not necessary to my identity. Uh, For Hemda and for people like her, she self-admittedly was like, no, for me, part of how I experience life and can process the things that have happened to me is to put it into words and to share it with public and to hear feedback and to like learn how to speak about it, you know? And so she felt like there is no ethical conflict with her, like talking about her parents, for example, and her relationship with them Uh, and no fear or like worry about what their feelings might be if they heard, you know, what she had to say about them and shit like that. Yeah. And for me, since I don't have the drive for the sharing, like the only way that I have the drive is in that I do believe that we have the power to change the narratives that circulate in our society and therefore to present, like I really believe that we are monkey see, monkey do, okay? We are primates. And therefore it is very unlikely that any new generation of primates is going to think up of a whole new idea unless we start to open up avenues for questioning the dominant ideas, the hegemonic ideas in our society. And that includes all of them. It includes fucking like cisgender, like gender shit. It includes traditional marriage association shit. Dude, somebody wrote to me or like was telling me the other day that they watched this movie that's like about the 1400s and how much like the main characters were basically women who were being married off in exchange for like land and treaties and like whatever. And they're like, you're so right. They're like, marriage was just like, you're a cow. And they just trade you. And I'm like, yeah. And now people are like, but I get a pretty dress. <laughs> and so I can do it. Oh my God. It's totally cool now. And I'm like, it's fucking not you assholes. <laughs> like it, it really isn't. It's like, if you were like, Oh, well, we're still going to do slavery, but now it's like the slave gets to choose which house to live in and we give them a really nice dress on the I've day that they start. For you. That's exactly what we live in right now. I know. Exactly. <laughs> it's bad. I know. It's terrible. So the reason, sorry, I digressed, but the reason that I feel like I can pull away from the public conversation, at least sometimes, is because, Jake, I don't shy away from interactions with real people in the real world. And so I do talk to young people, people with kids, like uh, working class people. And I, I don't shy away in person with my family, with everyone that I meet, like even to my detriments, like in Colombia, <laughs> I had this one guy, like, you know, fucking poor guy, my mistake. He was like trying to sell bracelets at me. And so like I bought one of the bracelets and then he like starts telling me about how I should buy this other one because it's um, it has a thing of like one of these virgins that like helped him walk again or something. Or no, he doesn't tell me. He's like, it has one of these virgins. It's awesome. You know, she will bring you your heart's desire, make whatever you need come true, whatever. And so I like straight up tell him, I'm like, dude, I already bought a bracelet. And honestly, I don't believe in any religious stuff. So like, I don't want anything with a religious thing, but I appreciate it. You know, thanks. Have a good day. And he like lost his shit. <laughs> and he was like, you don't believe in God. Oh my God. And he like goes off and he starts to tell me all about how he was in an accident, in a car accident in Mexico. And then he was in a wheelchair and he didn't walk for six months. And he prayed to this virgin that's on the bracelet for like eight months or nine months or something. And then he got his walking back and he thinks, you know, it's because of her. And I 
was just like, okay. And I listened to the whole thing to him and I'm like, and I understand it. And I think it's wonderful, but you know, not everybody believes in serious you. And the people who are with me are just like, Louisa, can you stop? <laughs> like, just agree with the man and walk away. And I say this to say, not that I'm right, but that in my everyday life, I am this edge lord. This isn't a performance for me. It is not a thing that I do for likes on the internet or for followers or for people to buy tickets to come see me. Yeah. I have been this fucking asshole since I was like 12. <laughs> and <laughs> that means that I annoy the trans friends in my life by having conversations about femininity and masculinity in person. I annoy my cis friends in real life about whether or not they actually want to have a child or just think they do because they haven't achieved anything else in other areas of their life. I am I am the most annoying friend that all my friends have. And the difference <laughs> so between like, you and like a comedian yeah. is that you are doing this on principle because you actually believe it, whereas a comedian yeah. is doing it because they want the short uh sighted like thing that you get from it and then they're rationalizing backwards oh i did this on mm -hmm. principle but it's like no you didn't like you're being inconsistent because like i was thinking about this a lot this week because like yeah. i don't know the rogan stuff never really went away and like yeah. uh i think i worked out in my head and a philosophical argument that undercuts like the fucking stupid open micer guys because yeah i what they'll start with is let's take racism just as an example because rogan said the n-word They'll say, well, racism can be funny, you know, and I agree yeah. with that. Like, I actually do. I think all of the totally. things can be funny. Yeah. And uh, then but then what happens is that they will get yelled at for saying something racist. And what they'll do is they'll say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't racist because it was funny and because my intention mm. was all this stuff. And I'm standing here going, no, we I thought we agreed it is that it was racist, but it's also both, funny. Right? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. And it's like, well, then you never wanted to do edgelord shit to begin with. Yeah. You just you're wanted. pretending you're innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's completely different than acting with like that's disregard for the yeah. outcomes because you wanted to do the thing the whole time, yeah. which is what you're describing about the way you live your life because you have principles you believe in. Whereas yeah. This person doesn't actually believe in hurting people with racism. So they, yeah. you know, they have to just like short circuit and fry their brains because they keep entering into the situation. What they were trying to do is get the laughter from the people who weren't, wouldn't be hurt by the thing, but it's being mixed up with other people that are in the audience who are hurt by the thing. And they're like, well, what the fuck? And it's absurd situation. Cause you're like, why was this edgy to begin with? Probably cause yeah. it had the risk of hurting somebody. Right. So why didn't you just fucking go at it like that? But anyway, not to make grass. Yeah. No, you haven't digressed. I mean, I don't know. Is this a bad point for me to throw in some uh, Benjamin and Kafka? <laughs> no, let's do it. <laughs> okay, I think this is, I mean, I'm sure you'll have stuff to say, but how how long have we been going? Is this maybe something I should leave for another time? I mean, it's a quick aside uh, because I do have like a bunch of things I want to say about Benjamin, but not for this episode. For this episode, I just want to bring it up, I guess, in contrast to uh, Freud's joke stuff that you were yeah. saying. And just in light of everything we've talked about, it struck me as relevant, right? Which is, uh, so I've been reading some Benjamin stuff, but included in that is a, like a history, a, a brief history of Benjamin's life written by, um, what's her name? She wrote uh, on revolution, you know her name. Oh, uh, Arendt. Okay, I looked at her. Arendt. Up. Yeah, Hannah Arendt. Um, so she wrote like this brief, thing they were sort of contemporaries and he died earlier than her he was older and 
reading this interesting story about Benjamin, <laughs> uh, one of the things that came up is that he, Benjamin and Kafka had both a similar situation in which they were both like um, upper middle class boys, you know, uh, that came from like an educated family, but they were expected to like go into work for like whatever their parents, their dads did. You know what I mean? And both of them decided that they wanted to be little writers. Mm, cute. <laughs> and their dads were like, wow, that sucks. Sound familiar? <laughs> so that's like a thing that a lot of comics will identify with. Right. And so uh, especially with the fact that like they're not poor, you know, they're not even like working class. They uh, could have had nice and cushy lives by doing what it was that their dads wanted them to do. Right. But instead uh, they became writers. And then by becoming writers, there were like two kind of like socially acceptable avenues for them, which were to be sort of a worker for the state or to be a worker for society. So like as a writer, you could either uh, work for the state, like being a political writer, a speech writer for politicians, you know, a historian of politics, like fucking serious shit. Or you could be a society writer, meaning a fucking academic, a professor, <laughs> right? Uh, a fucking writer in that sense who gets like New York Times fucking shit or whatever or whatever it was in his time right and in Russia right uh but instead they both rejected these two avenues okay and so you would say like where did they go and what they both did is they got like menial jobs that would allow them to pay their bills with their menial jobs so yeah. that they could write freely however the fuck they want oh my god i'm just like kafka jake hear me out here kafka we go delivers pizzas you pizza delivery <laughs> bitch why yeah. you deliver pizza kafka yeah uh, kafka's job i think was uh kafka he ensured his financial independence by taking an ordinary job at the prague workman's compensation office yeah. All right. So he was a paper pusher for which he quickly. So look, and still no sooner had Kafka taken his position than he saw in it a running start for suicides <laughs> as though he were obeying an order that says you have to earn your grave. So, yes, artists totally chafe at a regular job. They hate it. It's fucking terrible. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. But if the way they make money is not connected to the way they make their art, they experience a freedom that those who are being paid for their art never will. Okay. Hell yeah. So I bring this up because, yeah. So this applies to the joke, I think, because I think that the in the purest essence of the joke and the people who make jokes, and I don't mean, because I think that in some ways Freud is talking about the way the average person makes a joke to like, uh, diffuse tension to avoid being direct about something they don't want to they're uncomfortable about you know what I mean like that is different than the way a professional joke writer writes jokes in order to manipulate the tension in a room and manipulate when it gets released etc right I want to suggest that Freud's shit is more about regular housewives right as we think I think we know and that uh Kafka and Benjamin's approach to their writing is more of what a true comic does. Okay. So hear me out. So they say, uh, so I guess like Hannah Arendt labels them as homme de lettres. I don't know how to say it's French. I'm bad at French, but it, it means men of letters. Okay. So men of letters, right? 
So she says, uh, the men of letters always strove to keep aloof from both the state and society. Their material existence was based on income without work, and their intellectual attitude rested upon their resolute refusal to be integrated politically or socially. On the, yeah. <laughs> on the basis of this dual independence, they could afford the attitude of superior disdain, which gave rise to La Rochefold's contemptuous insights into human behavior, the worldly wisdom of Montaigne, Montaigne, I'm, I'm so bad with French, sorry, you get it, the aphorism uh, trenchancy of Pascal's thought, the boldness and open-mindedness of Montesquieu's political reflections. It cannot be my task here to discuss the circumstances which, which eventually turned the, um, the men of letters <laughs> into revolutionaries in the 18th century, nor the way in which their successors in the 19th and 20th centuries split into the class of the cultured on the one hand and of the professional revolutionaries on the other. Okay, so I read through that line because she very quickly just implies that the heirs of this men of letters double freedom split in the 20th century into two groups, one being the cultured group and the other being the professional revolutionaries, right? And I think that it is something that speaks to not just jokes, but also the left in general and liberalism, because what happened is liberals became the cultured half, right? Wait, they're mad about Ted Lasso. Exactly. And leftists became the professional revolutionaries, which the fact that it's professional is bad, right? Because it's still like investing into it like a career, not like something that gets solved eventually, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Bosker and, became president of the nation or some shit today. Yeah. The yeah. Jackman guy. It's, it's, we're not doing it. Uh, so for comics, I would say that there's this equal split, right? where the comics went into the cultured group are the ones who are trying to play to what culture supposedly wants. They're worried about cancel culture. They're pandering to the groups that already like them. They are uh, focus grouping jokes, basically. And the comics who still want to have that double freedom from being beholden to either society or the state in terms of how they speak have chosen that side so deeply that they have rejected or burned all bridges to the cultural world success. Interesting. No. What do you think? Um, well, I thought you were going to say about the professional revolutionaries is that they mm -hmm. tragically turned it into a job. Yeah. Can't yeah, escape. From that and yeah. like uh i mean you see that right now with like i'm just thinking about like a lot of the, like the weird online leftists that have evolved over the last five years yeah and how a lot of them uh i mean you often hear like inklings of criticisms of like wait a minute this person was fighting the good fight and now it seems like they're just sort of like doing a stream you know and I, like have a patreon and are just sort of becoming like the point of what they're doing is not the cause anymore it's just the um the perpetuation of their ability to supposedly fight the, for the cause um which is something to keep in mind you know for all of us um yeah. not too successful so i don't have to worry that bad about that one yeah, but, yeah. um <laughs> I, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, but I guess it speaks to even like my my whole dilemma this week, right? Where I literally am saying like, oh, should I go over to the cultured side where I could write a book and just get paid and have people who like it write to me and everybody else, oh, I don't have to open that mean letter. <laughs> and then uh, that would mean leaving, I guess, the professional revolutionary side, which is, I think, like too nice, too grand a term to apply to me. But I guess in the sense of like being a professional idol breaker, right? I think that this I'm is... more comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. So like it would mean or whenever I am tempted, what I'm being tempted by is the culture side of like, oh, you have degrees. You can go be a professor. You can fucking not stop arguing with people. <laughs> and instead of staying with the professional revolutionary side of I am free from the state and society's um, demands on what they expect of me. But I am, that means I also do not enjoy the benefits or safety of state or society. Yeah. I think I was, I'm getting a little confused because uh, the term professional revolutionaries is calling to mind, like people that are actually part of some kind of vanguard of a thing that's actually happening. But I think what you're doing, and this does make sense is it's sort of replacing those people with what we have right now, which isn't that we don't have like a fucking Fred Hampton running around, but you have the most radical thing that you can do in modern media and art and all this stuff, which is be an iconoclast just functionally like like what i was saying about megan and consistently consistently like, yes megan megan has been that uh and she was an open micer <laughs> yeah, yeah she has been and, and like for people if you haven't looked it up look it up like megan was uh one of the first comics who publicly wrote about louis ck she uh she had this whole thing on what on a, on a red carpet do you remember that yeah, so she's she, going up and down the red carpet asking yeah she got i think she got blacklisted on e. yeah dick and she got blacklisted by fucking yeah. everyone and that is actually brave and edgy. That's the only fucking thing you can mm-hmm. say a comic did, which is brave, brave and edgy, you know? Yeah, I think about that absolutely. a lot because uh, I just read Capitalist Realism and played this video game that sort of is about it and stuff. And like, uh, it, it deals a lot with Lacan's idea of the real to get back to yeah. psychoanalysis. So, like, no, I know. He talks about, um, so, Lacan has this idea of reality versus the real, right? So mm-hmm. reality is the thing that we are in that we can perceive and stuff like that. And then the real, which is in this video game, Disco Elysium, I keep talking about it's on a map and outside of the map of the city, there's like um, clouds everywhere. Like the way on a map outside of like a, in a video game, you haven't discovered that part yet or whatever. Yeah. This, can you picture what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so in the video game, it's called the pale, which is like very obviously reference to the, to the real. Right. Yeah. And people talk about the pale and they talk about it moving. Or, oh, it came for, into town more or, oh, we, we explored out into it or whatever. And what they're describing is like this idea of, um, you know, in capitalist realism, he talks about how, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that is different between what we're living in now and then and what we were living in pre the housing crisis and all this stuff that you could have called postmodern is like modernism is socialism versus capitalism. Postmodernism is post the fight between socialism versus capitalism and and uh, capitalist realism is what fight. Right. This is the only reality <laughs> we live in. Yeah. There's no other. So there's this idea that there are all these things that are like unthinkable to even, um, you know, like 
comprehend like you the name yeah like like another good example of this is you know you get too stoned and you look at a dollar bill and you're like what is money like you wake up every <laughs> day and you use money and you never think about it these are things that exist in the pale beyond the pale yeah. outside in the real and so i think with comedians operate in a little bit in this way where you know we like to think of ourselves as transgressors that push boundaries but all of those boundaries have to exist within the uh, reality <laughs> with uh, and then you've got somebody like Megan Keister who pushes into the fucking pale like into the real because we've set a boundary to where like oh no 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 comedy only happens within this thing which is so it's stupid to call us brave if we never actually push like if we never if we don't do it fucking professional revolutionaries do which is yeah. push into the fucking pale push into the real and stuff like that yeah. and like try to recall the fight for a better world which is currently way the fuck out there you know and like yeah i just it most i i think that comedians need to think about that line because they always say oh there's no lines there's no sacred cows and then you're like why don't you go to the fucking comedy store and call jeff ross a pedophile and they're like well i'm not gonna do that and i'm like well that's the yeah. line you just identified that's the, the line, line. <laughs> <laughs> no that's really great dude um i think uh fuck i guess to connect it because i i think you're right about like uh, where the crude has to cross over to have like a grander goal than just being crude, right? And I say crude because as you were talking, it reminded me of something where I was reading like uh, letters that uh, Benjamin exchanged with Brecht. And in them, they were talking about crude language, right? And um, one of the things is like uh, Benjamin's goal as a writer was to get down to the point where he was only writing aphorisms, right? That's how you say that word. That it basically means for anybody who doesn't know short little sayings, right? So like uh, Nietzsche wrote a book of aphorisms. He often wrote just like short little lines that were encapsulated. That's all it was. Next one, different subject, right? And the reason that he believed or he wanted to write aphorisms is because he believed that crude thinking was like, let me see, how do you say, uh, the main thing is to learn how to think crudely. Crude thinking is the thinking of the great. There are many people whose idea of a dialect lover of subtleties. Crude thoughts, on the contrary, should be part and parcel of dialectical thinking because they are nothing to nothing but the referral of theory to practice. A thought must be crude to come into its own action. So, this is where I, again, hearken to the beginning and to the value of jokes, which is that very often what a joke does or what a transgressive statement does is it is the first or an early version of opening up a taboo subject. It is the crude version of opening up a tabooed subject. And the expectation is not that that crudeness is in and of itself the goal, but that it is an opening for that topic to then be dissected and criticized and depowered if necessary right um i don't know so i guess that's my defense of me being a bitch sometimes on twitter <laughs> well i want to bring what you just said back to nate though because i'm okay real stuck on this and i'm I, I don't know what i think of him yet but like okay of this thing but like i pity him don't get me wrong i no, pity him. But, but yeah yeah go ahead the question i guess is whether yeah. You've been talking about this thing like recently on our show here that mm -hmm. 
has been fascinating to me. I've been chewing on it. About how people that can't be closeted are at the forefront of pushing the fucking pale. The right? Mm -hmm. And you look at a guy like Nate, this character in this show, who is bisexual, but is trained to fucking cover it up by his toxic, aggressive, also closeted father and all of society and everything. Society, yeah. Um, And then he goes out into the world and against his will is outed in all these ways by girlfriends going through phones and by people talking about him and by him going to this play and then the play bringing it up. So is he a one of the people that's able to be cowardly or not? And I think he actually has kind of an agency in this where he doesn't probably want to be in the closet because if he really wanted to, he probably wouldn't take dick pics and send them and stuff and date women and look through your phone and all this shit and go to yeah. plays and things like that so like there's a reality <laughs> go to plays <laughs> that sounds funny sorry you're just well, the- you wouldn't go to the opera <laughs> <laughs> well, his friends sorry, play and like, yeah yeah no yeah. I get it but yeah um, and so you've got I, I'm guess I'm imagining him having this um, similar dilemma of like getting off Twitter and not getting involved in stuff and not doing jokes in the same way that like he could be kind of a coward in my opinion and never have to face this conflict but he isn't and probably not for good reasons he's also a fucking hedonist and wants to do all the stuff that he wants to do but choosing to go out into situations that out him like that is like um it's almost like lexi is the comedian you're describing who makes the crude thing that starts the conversation and then he has to like then interact with it which is fucking painful which is why we're all like i don't want to be in nate's position you know that is fucking painful and i don't want to go on twitter and get into fights with people but ideas you know but no i don't i don't I mean, I do agree with how you're reading Nate, but I don't think that Nate is the equivalent to my proposal of like not wanting to speak publicly because Nate is a person who is in the closet and I think wants to be in the closet because the the other thing is like, okay, uh, we who are watching the show and know that Nate does like men sometimes know that he's being outed. And maybe Maddie in the audience who has seen videos and shit on his phone knows that he is being outed. But to everyone else, I think it reads as a joke about all the football players being gay. It does not. He's not the only one like dancing around that locker room. being gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all of them fucking each other. Like he literally is jumping from one to the other and everybody's fucking. He's so neurotic about the thing that he sees it as like the main he's being out. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. But that's like a personal reaction. But that's why I mean. So like it doesn't actually function as outing him to anyone. It functions as he's the butt of a joke that is homophobic. Right. That, but absolutely. Kind of does it, like he. No, it doesn't because he presents he presents as a hyper masculine to his own credit as he has wanted to present. He presents as a hyper masculine is with the hottest girl at school all the time. So literally what we're seeing is an attack on your masculinity, a joke about how you're gay. And it's not even directed at only him. You get me? It really yeah. isn't, Jake. It is about all of the football players. I know. But so, one thing is this causes him to have a contradiction, like a, a yeah, crisis anyway. 
totally. But the fact that he walks out and he is like mad about it is not like he's not in any way. I guess feeling like, oh, I've been outed and now I need to identify this. It's not like he's burying his head in the sand hole even more by walking out. Well, I think that the him being so angry on some level is that trying to come out of him and then him fighting with it. And that's yeah, what and it, he doesn't know how to deal with it. For that's sure, what it for is sure. to be angry yeah. and be in a situation of contradiction yeah. like that. Right. And that's yeah. why I'm like, this is an example of like uh, why you should get into it with people and you should because we're like a communal fucking organism that has yeah. to be throwing these ideas back and forth at each other. And they yeah, yeah. it's painful, but they work themselves out or whatever. And yeah. like what you were saying about, you know, the the sort of like um uh like responsibility that people even have when they're like in the closet or something like that to then sort of deal with the fucking, you know, pain of showing solidarity with people that are like not able to be in and stuff like that. Like that's all I guess I'm seeing the picture I'm painting in my head is one of that's drawing people to actually go through with this sort of stuff and like him being in pain because he's like trying not to yeah. and like isolating never being good i guess is what i'm getting yeah. at, you know yeah no it's not going to be good it's definitely not going to be good but the the irony i guess is that the way out of the isolation for him in particular is to come out completely well, well, but the, but his dad chose the other path which was to like do the lay, lay down and be an old man and have a family and stuff but he's exactly so he has the example before him that 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 path doesn't work. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, I think the end of your story yeah. is Nate just being super gay. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I do think it is equally about him because uh, it's not just about drugs. It's not just about uh, the one trans girl. It's, it is about all of the different things that affect people as they try to develop into a self-realized adult yeah and those things are unfortunately the same when you're 16 as when you're 36 and 46 if you haven't dealt with it yet yeah like cal yeah exactly exactly and that's why when people were like why do we need another cal episode i'm like bitch you're probably the one that needs the other cal episode <laughs> because <laughs> You need to look around and see how the things that fucking scared you to look in the mirror and scared you to think about yourself and really examine your own beliefs and behaviors when you were 17 probably still affect you now if you haven't dealt with it. Yeah. But yeah, all right, let's close it up. We gotta, we're gonna do a mailbag today. So, uh, well, it's too late if you're listening to this now, but for the next mailbag, email us at whyumedpod at gmail.com. Um, also, if you join the Patreon, not only do you get to hear the Why You Med uh, mailbag episodes, but also uh, we have a Discord now where people talk. Some people get mad at us, Jake. They got I mad trying, at us? I haven't been on uh, Mostly at me, but I'm trying to <laughs> stay away from it, let people have their freedom. To bitch and moan about mom it's fine um i still love all of you even the people that have personally yelled at on mailbags i love you guys don't be mad <laughs> okay jake plugs what do you got oh um if you're listening to this as it comes out which will be on the 24th of february a thursday i'm doing a show online on rushtix.com i made a crazy green screen thing for me. i i booked person i 
purposely booked people that are good at Zoom comedy that don't phone it in because I noticed some people that actually <laughs> spoke to. Yeah. Um, and uh, you should check it out. And I would like to sell some tickets because I went viral yesterday because Katy Perry retweeted me. Dude, I can't believe it. It would sell some tickets, but it didn't. Um, uh, or not yet. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I'm sure you and Katy Perry have very different audiences, but <laughs> I do think it was really cool that she was like, uh, she showed, you know, she's got skater boy love. So she's <laughs> like, oh, I like this tweet. It reminds me of the Warp Tour boys that I would like to, I would try to fuck when I was in, her, in my teens and early 20s. Her or whoever runs that Twitter account. Yeah. I'm still not convinced it's her, but like it's kind of maybe because she dated Russell Brand. So maybe she, yeah, dude, knows, man. I don't fucking I, know. I don't know. I don't follow her. So I, but I'm <laughs> um, going to believe I'm going to be the, the wishful one and believe that it's Katy Perry running her own account. I also just to <laughs> interject one last thing. I had yeah. a, a similar thing where I was like, I was, I've been writing a lot of like jokes and stuff. And like, yeah. I was right. And I was like, should I not dick around on Twitter? I thought of that chain wallet thing. That is a joke I wrote for stand up. And I was like, I should tweet it also to see what yeah. happens. And I almost didn't. And this is what's so fucking crazy about the internet is that I almost didn't tweet that. And then I did and fucking Katy Perry <laughs> retweeted it <laughs> and almost changed my life forever. So I, it, it caused me also, to go, never stay home, never stay inside. <laughs> also, listen, none of my thoughts this week got retweeted by Katy Perry, but I'm fine. It's okay. I'm all right. I'm what doing great. <laughs> that it could happen. Doesn't that compel you to... Not really, no. That's why we're talking about this difference between being expressive. Oh, the re the reason I had brought it up to Hemda actually was because like old school OkCupid, you're, were you ever on OkCupid? Yeah, a little bit. So old school OkCupid, before they turned it into a, a fake Tinder, uh, it was like you couldn't swipe. It was like people had profiles and you had to answer all these questions. And so you would just like browse through profiles and then message people if you like them. Yeah. Much better. OkCupid, if you're listening, go back to that. Uh, but what was funny was in the questions, one of the first questions that you would get was, do you consider yourself uh, a person who lives to express yourself or lives to gain knowledge? And it was such a crazy dichotomy to me. And it's always stuck with me because I see it like in all the people that I see. I'm like the artists, they live to express themselves. And then there are academics and scientists, science and doctors, people that I know who are, uh, we are collectors of information. We're observers, we're supporters of those of you who want to express yourselves, we'll give you information, <laughs> you know, like, but we're not, with the exception of this podcast, like I still have people who think I want to do stand up, and I'm like, I will never, ever in my life stand on a stage and try to make somebody laugh. Are you crazy? That sounds horrible. It is horrible. It is horrible, right? It seems horrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what I've been thinking about all week because of the Katy Perry thing. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible, but the actual the whole story is high risk, high reward. Is what I know. And then when you morning. when it works, you just fucking are high as fuck. Yeah, it's like the heroine of human interactions. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's enough to last you through. It's all dangerous. The, the yeah, bad things that happen afterwards, and then you get another it's, one. It's dangerous. I prefer the uh, marijuana of social interactions, which is you can easily access me. You can always count on a good high. It's always going to be a solid combo. <laughs> like medium risk, medium reward with me all the time. <laughs> Fun to watch reality television with you. Um, hey, I'm a little better than that. But yeah, I do like, okay. Anyway, I'm also hey, bye. 
going on tour with Eve Six. You know, the deal, if you don't know, uh, we're going all over the country. All of the shows are on my website and their website and my pinned tweet and everything. And the next Meet Space, my live show in New York is on May, March 15th. Come me and my out, lady, me and my lady friend Allison will be going to see you and uh, your boys and such at Poisson Rouge when yeah. you go to New York City. We're excited. She DM'd me or she texted me and she was like, oh, my God, did you know, Jake, it's going to be with Poisson Rouge with Eve Six. I'm like, yeah, bitch, of course I knew. And she's like, and you weren't going to tell me. I'm like, no, this is me telling you. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, so we will be there. We'll have signs and shit. It'll be great. <laughs> Can we bring signs? We don't know. All right. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone's yeah. stopping you. Um, <laughs> and my other podcast, Pod Damn America, While You Mad, at Feral Jokes and everything. You know the deal. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Okay. Why you mad?